Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. I'm doing this episode solo. This is our question of the week for the week. And we're focused on the Samsung Galaxy S8 event that happened earlier today, which I attended in New York City. And I'm going to be answering some sort of obvious questions that I think people might have, but also some questions that were submitted via Twitter in response to a call that I put out for questions and also some of the other things that I've been discussing with people on Twitter today. So really the question is, what should we make of the announcements that Samsung made at its event today, which were limited not just to the phones themselves, but also to some other products as well. So that's really what we'll be going through today. I imagine this will take about half an hour or so. I'm recording this solo, as I mentioned, without Aaron, um, but in a hotel room in New York. So there may be the odd bit of background noise here and there, hopefully not too much. So I thought I'd start out with asking sort of big picture question, what was announced? And hopefully you've seen some of the news already, perhaps you even watched the live stream. But I just wanted to talk through some of the actual announcements briefly up front. First off, obviously, was the phones, the Samsung Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus. The headline feature on these new phones is the display. And it's called the Infinity Display because it goes edge to edge and covers much of the front of the screen. I think the the figure 83% was mentioned at one point in one of the articles I read today. Uh, Much smaller bezels than we've seen before, even in Samsung's recent phones, uh, continuing a trend that we've seen recently from other makers and obviously in anticipation as well of the similar changes from Apple later this year. We can talk about that a little bit. Uh, That has implications. The Infinity display covers much of the screen. It means the home button is no longer there as a physical separate home button with a fingerprint sensor on the front. Uh, That fingerprint sensor moves to the back and the home button for the purposes of interacting with the screen is now embedded in the screen itself. And that's uh, now a combination of hardware and software that responds to touch within the screen. Uh, Also, two other ways of unlocking, because the home button is now on the back, or rather the fingerprint sensor is now on the back. There are also now iris and face unlock features, other ways to unlock the phone without having to reach around to the back of it and touch the fingerprint sensor. Bixby was announced last week. We talked about that briefly, I believe, on the news roundup last week. Uh, But this is a new interface according to Samsung it's really an assistant but Samsung insists on using the word interface instead Um, it's a voice interface but it's also got some camera features so you can point it uh, point the camera at things and Bixby will interpret what those things are if it's a building it will tell you information about the building and some things you might do nearby for example it also has a proactive element so that there's a Bixby home app or screen that's just to the left of the home screen on the device that you can swipe to and it will show you what's next on your calendar and various other things and this is supposed to be uh, machine learning based so it learns about your habits over time and then serves up things that might be particularly relevant based on your current situation so it's Bixby the connect home app and there's also connect home hardware that I'll talk about in a minute but there's a connect home app which helps to control some home automation devices and things like that that you might have Uh, there are AKG headphones made by the Harman Kardon group, which Samsung's in the process of acquiring. Those will be bundled in. I saw somewhere that those are valued at $100 by themselves, but they're bundled in with every one of these new devices. Uh, there's a DeX feature as well, and DeX is very similar to similar things that you may have seen before. Um, you know, I think the first thing I saw in a smartphone that did this was this, the Motorola Atrix quite a few years ago that had a dock that it plugged into and then basically turned into a laptop. We've seen Microsoft do something similar with Windows 10 and Continuum recently when you plug the phone into a dock and it can then power a monitor and various other things. So uh, the new phones from Samsung have a DeX feature as well. And then aside from the phones, there's the uh, Gear hardware accessories. So the Gear 360 camera, something that was announced last year, 
first version was very much kind of home-based. It was intended to be stationary and uh, now has uh, much more of a sort of action camera, portable feel to it and has some other upgrades. And then the Gear VR, which is Samsung's mobile VR headset done in partnership with Oculus, that also got an update. This was trailed at Mobile World Congress in February, but it now um, has a separate controller rather than having to use a trackpad on the side and uh, some other enhancements and so on as well. And the last piece of hardware was Connect Home Hardware, which is a combination of mesh Wi-Fi router. You can get up to three of these, I think, and mesh them together, and also an IoT hub. So it's a hub for setting up and then managing the smart home devices that you have uh, within your home, from, from Samsung appliances to smart things appliances and smart home devices, also obviously owned by Samsung. So that just runs through what was announced briefly. And what I'm going to do for the rest of this episode is really dive into those individual announcements and evaluate them in terms of what they mean for Samsung. Uh, I had a chance to play with some of the hardware afterwards, and so I'm going to share some of my initial thoughts based on playing with them. This obviously isn't an extensive review because I haven't had anything like the time with these devices that you would need to be able to provide that review. So this is more in the nature of first thoughts or a hands-on experience in the usual parlance of the industry. So first of all, I want to talk about how the phone stacks up. Um, How does the phone stack up? Well, uh, based on the announcements and based on trying it for a a little while in the hands-on area afterwards, it's done very well. I think the Infinity Screen is a great concept. I think it was very well articulated during the event itself. Um, The screen has been embedded into the device very nicely. And if you've looked at any of the S7 devices from last year, Uh, They were really nice-looking devices in a lot of ways, a lot of metal and glass and and quite polished-looking. They were quite sharp on the edges because that curved screen did come to something of a point. So it wasn't terribly comfortable to hold, kind of almost painful to hold in some ways. It wasn't the best uh, from an ergonomic perspective. And so these devices approach that quite differently. They're still curved screens, but the curving is a lot more rounded and a lot less sharp than it was before. So it bends and then wraps around the side of the device. And what you have at the end of the day is now a fairly symmetrical device, so that if you look at it from the side or from the top, it looks symmetrical front and back. So it's a lot more rounded on the sides, which feels a lot more comfortable to hold in your hands. Again, really premium device, you know, metal and glass. It is quite shiny compared to, say, some Apple devices and some of the other Apple, the other devices out there. Um, I don't think that's an issue necessarily. There's something that's sort of consistent with Samsung's design philosophy, but it doesn't look cheap. I and mean, some of the pictures I posted on uh, Twitter and elsewhere earlier uh, made it look a little cheap to some people. It, it doesn't feel that way in person. Uh, it is very long and thin. It has a different aspect ratio that's actually more stretched than the past aspect ratio. And that's partly because, of course, the bezels on the side have basically disappeared now. And one of the big value propositions with this new Infinity display is that you get a much bigger screen and a smaller form factor. But one of the side effects is it's been stretched And that's fine. I mean, it's nice to look at. It's a beautiful display, as we've come to expect from Samsung. But it does mean that it's an unusual aspect ratio. So there will be some apps that aren't used to that long, thin aspect ratio where they may look odd, as tablet apps often look odd on Android devices because the management of different screen sizes isn't great in Android, and and especially by Android developers. Android, in theory, does support management of different screen sizes, but many developers don't bother to support that properly. And they're used to fairly standard aspect ratios. This is not one of those. And so you may see some sort of letterboxing with gaps at the top and bottom. You may see, you certainly do see that with video. I played a YouTube video, for example, and it had some black strips either end of the video on the left and right. 
even though it was, you know, widescreen HD video that I was watching. And that would be a frequent experience with even uh, widescreen video, anything that's shot differently, anything that's shot in, say, SD, obviously even more dramatically, but that's becoming rarer and rarer. Um, the uh, apps, though, may well look a little funny. There will be some that have been updated to work with it, and obviously the, the apps that were pre-installed on these phones were all the Samsung built-in ones, which obviously have been optimized. But when reviews come out, it'll be worth looking for how other apps behave because there may well be some issues there with stretching or odd empty spaces and things like that. It's a, it's a different aspect ratio from what we're used to. The other big effect, as I already mentioned, is you know when you remove everything else essentially from the front of the device, that includes the home button. There is a physical home button inside the screen. Uh, sorry, there's a. It is physical, obviously, but it doesn't protrude or, or it isn't visually separated from the phone in any way. There is hardware and software that makes it respond to touch, even though it's within the screen itself. That's how you interact with things in the same way you always have. And the Google contextual buttons, the sort of home, back, and multitasking buttons, do show up if you know how to get them to appear. If you're in a full screen activity like a video, you kind of have to swipe from the side to get them to appear. Otherwise, they tend to stay on screen. Uh, that's really not an issue for interacting with the screen. You're kind of used to that from a lot of Android devices already. They haven't had physical home buttons in some iterations for a long time now. Uh, but of course, the other thing that physical home button has offered on recent Samsung devices is the fingerprint sensor or thumbprint sensor. And that's now disappeared from the front of the device and moved to the back alongside the camera. That's not the first time we've seen this on an Android device. We've seen that before from HTC and other devices in the past. There are obviously some downsides to that, not least that you have to reach around to the back of the device. So if it's on a table or something, it's obviously not going to be reachable. You have to pick the device up in order to unlock it with a finger or a thumb. Uh, it also means that it's right next to the camera, which means as you're reaching around the back, there's a good chance that you might end up smearing the camera with your finger accidentally while you're reaching for that thumbprint or fingerprint sensor. It's quite a long way up on the back of what's quite a long and thin device, as I've already mentioned. And so that's another issue is it's kind of hard to reach as well. It's certainly not where you would naturally rest your finger necessarily. So that's another issue. Because of all that, though, Samsung has also put iris and face recognition technology for phone unlocking. Face recognition is not as secure as, as fingerprint thumbprint recognition is. Uh, so, you know, some corporate ID departments may decide to disallow that as a way to unlock the device because it's too easily manipulated iris recognition is supposed to be very good and presumably Samsung's done very well in actually implementing that here so that should be a good alternative to fingerprint and thumbprint obviously both face and iris recognition rely on a certain amount of light so in the dark if you're at night and trying to unlock your phone without waking up a spouse or somebody else in the room uh, then this may not work for you. You may have to put in your password or reach your finger around to the back. But otherwise, those should be pretty good options. And again, that's something worth looking at when the reviews come out as to how fast that is. And the face unlock is supposed to be um, especially fast because you don't really have to do anything to initiate it. Um, Bixby is pretty hard to test, frankly, on, on the hands-on area. It's the kind of thing that you kind of want to use throughout the day. Uh, one of the interesting things that I did look at when I was playing around with the device in the hands-on area was um, the Bixby settings where there's a listing of supported apps uh, and obviously the built-in Samsung apps all do support it but uh, in that listing there were apps including CNN, Foursquare, LinkedIn, um, let me see, Spotify, Twitter, Uber. Uh, those were some of the, those were the third-party supported apps that were listed and there was an option to download those so I'm guessing as more third-party app developers decide to build in Bixby support, those will show up in that list in the settings for Bixby. So that's worth noting is there already are a handful 
of third party apps there, and that list will probably grow over time. Big question, of course, is how much that list grows, because something like Bixby that acts as an alternative interface for using apps only becomes really useful when it's very widespread. And I kind of mentioned this in the context of, I think, 3D Touch last week, where it's the kind of thing that's only really useful if it's basically always available wherever you expect it to be and becomes frustrating when it's only available in some of the apps that you use. So um, that's Bixby. Um, I, again, it was hard to test in the scenario that we were in. There were some cards that had clearly been pre-configured. There was nothing, no way to test the sort of machine learning capabilities. So again, that'll be worth looking for when the reviews come out. There is this object recognition feature, again, hard to do in a hands-on area when the only objects on display are Samsung devices. But I did point it out the window at the venue, which was at Lincoln Center in New York. Had a building across the plaza, which is also part of Lincoln Center. Tried this twice. The first time around, it seemed to recognize the building and was just about to start serving up information about it when Bixby crashed on me. So it wasn't a great first experience, and it may be pre-release software, and then the bugs will be ironed out by the time review units go out. Um, the second time I tried it, didn't seem to recognize the building, but recognized that I was in the Lincoln Center area and tried to serve up information about Lincoln Center and what there was to do around there, including places to eat and so on. So mixed results there and very, very brief testing, and that, that's certainly something worth testing a lot more, especially with other uh, more obscure objects and so on. Um, you know, New York City happens to have a number of very recognizable landmarks. It may not work anywhere near as well in a more obscure location. Um, the other features of Bixby, as I say, very hard to test in that context. So, you know, in theory, on paper and based on the demos on stage, Bixby looks very clever. But given Samsung's past weakness in software and services, we really kind of have to see how these devices actually perform when they're out in the wild uh, with reviewers and so on. Uh, Dex is worth mentioning. Uh, that was just demoed briefly on stage. As I mentioned, this is the plug it into a, a dock and power a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse and so on. Seems to be a version of Android that runs on the screen. I understand there's some kind of Citrix-based support in there as well. I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, this is kind of like every other solution like this that we've seen over the years. Sounds great in principle, uh, but when you get to the practicalities of it, it's not that great just because it means that wherever you're going to be working, you have to have a display, a mouse, a keyboard, and the dock, You know, all of which will obviously cost money in their own rights, probably adding up to at least the value of the device over again. And you're going to have to have that in any place where you might want to use it in this way. And so... To me, there's never been that much benefit to that idea over just taking a laptop or a tablet or something with me that I could work on independently without needing all those peripherals. If it's in the office, chances are you have a computer there anyway. I don't think an S8 is going to become anybody's sole computer. I think it's always going to be a secondary device. And so again, this seems like a good implementation of the concept. Uh, we'll need more testing to, to know if that's really the case. But the bigger issue here is just this is a use case that's been around for ages and that nobody really actually seems to use in practice. So... Uh, you know, Microsoft certainly seems to have a stronger shot at pulling it off because it actually will be running Windows rather than some unknown version of, of Android that people aren't familiar with. But even they obviously are going to struggle to pull it off with a very small number of Windows mobile devices out there. Um, the bezels. The bezels are worth talking about a bit more. I, mean, I talked about them a little bit already, but um, one of the interesting conversations I've been having in and out of meetings and things all day, but on Twitter in the meantime, I've been having some conversations about uh, bezels and there's this interesting thing that's happened and I feel like this is a sort of a repeat of what happened with Apple Watch rumors a few years back where there's been a story out there since you know I think last June that Apple was working on iPhones with much smaller bezels and a home button somehow built into the screen and so on and 
since that time, we've seen a number of other smartphone vendors bring out phones with much smaller bezels. And there was a Xiaomi device that was one of the first to do this, but was described as a sort of a concept. It was a concept you could theoretically buy, but seems to be very much sort of a, a test of the concept rather than a mainstream phone. LG's G6 has much smaller bezels, and now you've got the Samsung S8 out there, and there are other examples we could name too, but you know those are some high-profile ones. So Apple rumors get out there, and then it's other device makers that actually get out there first. And some of the first Apple rumors suggested that it might have been last year's iPhones that would have this. Uh, we obviously now know that didn't happen. Now they're being rumored for this year, and that seems likely to happen as part of a bigger redesign of the iPhone. But there's this big question about whether this means others are somehow first and whether that even matters or not. And I saw at least one headline suggesting that this means Apple's somehow behind. And the reality is, of course, all these vendors will end up releasing these phones in the same cycle, in the same year, ultimately. So it happens that Apple releases its phones late in the year. These other companies release theirs early. They'll be in the same cycle. These phones will all be competing with each other. And as such, it doesn't really matter who's first. But it's interesting to see how the Apple rumor mill can sometimes spark other vendors to move faster in an effort to kind of get in there first, to preempt innovation from Apple and so on. You know, realistically, as I say, these devices will be in market at the same time. Assuming Apple makes similar changes, it'll really be about who does it better and whether you know Apple ends up putting the fingerprint sensor into the screen on the front such that it works as conveniently as it has in the past whether it puts it on the back, whether it has iris unlock or something else instead. You know, we'll have to see how that's all managed. Uh, and then what happens to the shape of the device? What happens to the size of the device? Do you make the screen bigger within the same size of device? Do you make the device smaller with the same size of screen? Lots of interesting trade-offs to make there. So that's by far, to me, the more interesting question is how well is that transition managed and what are the benefits to the consumer from it? These are certainly beautiful devices. There was lots of stuff about how immersive it is. Um, but again, the proof's in the pudding, and we'll have to see not just how this device, the S8, performs, but also how the equivalent iPhones perform later this year. The other interesting thing uh, that I think also somewhat relates to rumors that we've seen about the iPhone is price. And these new S8 phones are priced at about $100 more than their predecessors, all their predecessors have been. So whereas it was previously 650 for the smaller device, 750 is a starting point for the larger device, and obviously going up from there with various storage tiers. This year it's 750 and 850 seems to be the fairly standard pricing. Verizon, interestingly, is coming in a little bit lower here in the US than the other US carriers that have announced so far, suggesting that they're perhaps trying to be a bit more aggressive, trying to capture more than their fair share of S8 upgraders here as a way to try to win some more subscribers at a time when they're having a hard time doing that, as we've talked about in earlier episodes. But in general, the prices are $100 more than they have been. Um, and, you know, Samsung is bundling in these fairly high-end headphones that supposedly worth about $100. Um, obviously, the screen is bigger, better in, in all kinds of ways. The bezels are shrunk. Some of the components have had to be miniaturized even more than they were in the past. That has a cost. Um, you know, Bixby development, the DeX support presumably requires a fairly powerful processor. You know, the eight, Samsung is obviously one of the first device vendors to incorporate a Snapdragon 835 processor with some more powerful LTE technology in there as well. So there are all kinds of advances in here, but we're used to seeing those advances every year and prices staying pretty much the same. Apple budged a little bit on the larger phone last year. They went up by about $20 here in the US in terms of this price. Um, but again, it was kind of justified by a second camera in the, in the device. And 
some various other things in there. And it was a fairly modest price bump. This is a much bigger price bump. And there have, of course, been rumors that Apple was going to do something like that this fall with possibly a third tier above the, the standard phone, the Plus, perhaps a premium device with OLED screen and some other benefits, and that it would charge, in some cases, a lot more than $100 more. People have been talking about a $1,000 iPhone. Um, I've been very skeptical of that. I think if Apple does something like this, it'll probably be another $100 bump above the Plus. Uh, but it's interesting to see Samsung make this price change basically in isolation. Uh, and that means it's going to be competing against other flagships that are priced quite a bit less. Now, nobody pays this price these days, not in the U.S. We're almost all paying on leasing or installment plans. And so the actual price you'll see will be a few dollars different a month. And they may be banking on that as uh, dampening the effect of this price increase. Certainly most of the coverage I haven't, I've seen today hasn't even mentioned the fact that this is a higher price. But it is a higher price, and that'll be interesting to see to what extent that dampens demand for what otherwise I think is a very compelling phone that could well drive a really good upgrade cycle for Samsung. And this is really about upgrades at this point. There are very few new smartphone users, relatively small numbers of people that switch between the major platforms, and especially away from Samsung and iPhone, and even between those two. Uh, so this is really about upgraders. This is getting people that ha who have a, an S6, an S5, an S7 to upgrade to this device. And that's really the argument Samsung has to make here. And I think they've made that argument very well. It's a very compelling device. But as I say, the price may be a slight offsetting factor in terms of the appeal and how much of an upgrade they're able to drive there. So I think that's it on the device itself. If I think of anything else, what I'm talking about, some of the other elements, then I'll come back to that. But Really solid device overall, as I say. I think it would drive a good upgrade cycle. I think, if anything, the price might dampen that a little bit. But I think it'll do very well, certainly in the months before the iPhone launches. Obviously, people who are really in the know know that there are new iPhones that are supposed to be very exciting and different coming in the fall. Some people may choose to wait for those. There obviously isn't a Note uh, device this year since the recall cancelled that out. And it's worth talking about the Note 7, actually, briefly. Um, but because there isn't a Note 7, these kind of fill that price bracket. And that may be another reason why Samsung pushed the price up a bit is to try to raise its overall ASP in the vacuum created by the Note 7. But it seems a strange reason to do this. Um, but they do seem to be testing higher price points. But the Note 7 is worth mentioning briefly. It's certainly something I got asked about a lot over the last couple of weeks was, you know, is this when Samsung finally gets moved to move past the Note 7 debacle? And I think it absolutely is. I think you know this is the first big announcement from Samsung since the Note 7 uh, had its troubles and then the recall and everything that followed that. And obviously they got the, the mea culpa out of the way and the explanations and the, what they're going to do differently and all that kind of stuff in uh, in January, February. And uh, you know we'll be hoping to move on. And I think that having such a positive announcement, an announcement that really I think is going to generate a lot of buzz with these new phones will really help them finally get past that, put it behind them. They did make a misstep earlier this year talking about refurbishing some Note 7 devices. That seemed like a, a really stupid thing to do the week of this launch. But I think that's all been forgotten already by this stage of the week. And I think they're going to have a really positive news cycle. And I think it, the Note 7 will inevitably still be mentioned. And clearly, if there are any issues at all with these devices, that would be absolutely disastrous for Samsung. Um, but I expect they've really gone through some rigorous testing here to make sure there's no way they're going to have the same issues again. And it seems they invited quite a few journalists out to South Korea to go see their testing facilities and so on to really demonstrate that to them as well. So let's move on from the smartphones to two other categories that I'll talk about briefly. Uh, first off, these two Gear devices, so the, the Gear VR uh, headset and the Gear 360 camera. If you watch the live stream, you'll have seen they handed one of these Gear 360 cameras out to everybody in the audience and 
had them hold it up and briefly record a moment of it. Um, I've, I, I was among that crowd. I have one of these things. It's a cute little thing. It looks like a, an alien or something. Um, the big change from the first version of this device is the first version was very much designed to be used in a stationary situation. So you put it on a table during a party and just have it record a party or whatever. Uh, it was definitely not an action camera or anything like that. It was not really designed for being taken out and about. Uh, that was not how it was described. That was not how it was designed. It really wasn't intended to function that way. This device uh, upgrades to 4K video, uh, has some other sort of improvements, but it's very much designed to be portable. It kind of has the grip that takes up most of the device below the camera itself. It's clearly designed to be held out at arm's length to be able to record yourself and whatever you're doing, basically. And so it's an interesting shift in the focus for this device. And you know, it's this is not a massive category. You know, GoPro is obviously going through some trouble because they're hitting up against the ceiling of what's a fairly small addressable market for action cameras. Uh, Samsung will probably do fairly well. And this is really mostly a strategy about generating content, user-generated content for VR. And then that kind of brings us to the Gear VR. Uh, the Gear VR is easily the most widely uh, used and, and purchased and owned VR device out there today. Uh, it's been priced pretty aggressively, sort of $100, $130, often bundled with Samsung smartphones and, and subject to other discounts and promotions and so on. So, uh, you know, over a million of these things out there already, and um, they've done very well. Uh, but it's mobile VR. It's limited by the capacity of the smartphone that powers it. And that experience has become pretty decent. It's certainly a great sort of first experience with VR. And my kids have enjoyed playing both with the Gear VR and with the Google uh, Daydream View uh, VR device. You know, these do give you some sense of what VR is like. They can be really fun, really immersive. They're obviously not the same sort of frame rates and other performance characteristics as an Oculus or an HTC Vive or a Sony PlayStation VR. But they're a great first experience. But the, the most frustrating thing about the original Gear VR was that the controller was this trackpad that was on the side of the headset. So you couldn't see it to kind of feel your way around it. And then it really didn't have a lot of topography to it that really helped you understand where where the different parts of it were and what you were actually touching at any given point in time. So it made for a very awkward controller experience. So you typically just picked a piece of content to engage with and then you set it up and you didn't need to use it that much, but it meant it was fairly limited in terms of what you could really do. And so the second version of the Gear VR borrows from that daydream view concept of a motion controller. And so it's now a separate little device that you hold in your hand and can use to interact with with things and also to navigate around the user interface. And so that'll be a big improvement. And there are some other improvements in terms of frame rate and, and quality of the video and various other things in this version of the Gear VR 2. So this will be a nice upgrade on what, as I say, is the most mass market VR headset out there today. You know, it's not a huge money spinner at the kinds of price points that it's at, but it's a nice part of the Samsung ecosystem and that's really an argument they seem to be making and they've they I think this was the first time I'd heard this terminology but Galaxy has always been the brand around the smartphones but the word Galaxy was being used as sort of substitute for ecosystem at the event today and they seem to be talking now about a galaxy of devices of which this Gear VR is one and obviously the Gear 360 camera is another one and we're going to continue to see that grow I suspect and obviously they've had the wearables with that branding as well and then lastly I just want to talk about the Connect Home uh, device, and I mentioned the Connect Home app earlier, and, and it's worth talking about that and this together. This is really the first time that we've seen Samsung start to tie together its smartphone and its appliances and the smart things, smart home devices that Samsung bought a few years back. And it's been one of the strangest things about the smart things purchase is how little Samsung has really done to integrate this stuff. 
the smart things have been sort of this independent ecosystem. And there's an argument to be made for being agnostic. So you can control this from any smartphone or whatever. But this meant there was no Samsung smart home ecosystem. It was tied into its most popular devices, which were its smartphones. And that's felt like an odd omission. It's finally being fixed with these announcements where there's now a Connect Home app on your Samsung smartphone to manage these devices. And then also Connect Home hardware for the home, which is a mesh Wi-Fi solution with one to three routers, one of which is the main one, two of which could uh, supplement and range extend and so on. And then also an IoT hub. So this would be how you set up a new device that you might bring into your home, connect it to your smart home and allow it to communicate with other devices in the home. And this is interesting. Obviously, we had Google announce Google Wi-Fi in the fall. It has Google Home as a potential controller for smart home equipment. You obviously have the Nest ecosystem as well. Um, You know, Apple's got HomeKit. But Apple has not invested lately. And in fact, they've been pulling back from their Wi-Fi efforts. So their airport routers and so on, uh, they've abandoned those lately, basically. And, and I still think there must be something coming down the line. And maybe it's in the context of a home speaker or something. They'll, they'll get back into this space with something that's more of a home automation management device or something that also incorporates mesh Wi-Fi. But it does feel funny that Apple's pulling back from the Wi-Fi space just as a lot of other vendors are getting into it. Because I do think the home router is going to be increasingly important as a way to do quality control, management, and security, and so on for that home network. And it feels odd that Apple's pulling back while others are getting into it. Again, I suspect we'll see more from Apple in the space in the near future. But for now, it's an interesting juxtaposition to see Google, Samsung, and a whole set of startups getting into that mesh Wi-Fi space while Apple pulls back from Wi-Fi and seeds that space to other people. So I hope that announces some of the uh, sorry excuse me I hope that answers some of the questions you might have about the Samsung announcements today. Um, I can hear some background noise here in my hotel room. Hopefully it's not too audible on the recording, but hopefully that answers a lot of your questions. Uh, I tweeted about this a lot today. I also wrote about it for Tech Narratives uh, readers. There's three separate pieces about the Samsung announcements, and then an additional one about T-Mobile. Uh, supporting some of the new LTE features and and therefore providing a faster network experience for the S8. So go read those. I'll put them in the show notes. But thank you for listening. Hopefully this was useful and interesting to you. We should be back on Friday with our news roundup now, a separate episode uh, as of last week. We're doing two separate episodes a week. So we should be back, Aaron and I, with the news roundup on Friday sometime as a a supplement to this in which we'll, we'll talk about some of the other news this week aside from all the news that Samsung's been making. So thanks for listening, and we'll be with you again soon. Thanks.